0: Forward to keeping going in this uh, series, Conversations uh, with the Lord. And uh, just, it's a, this is a great series. We're looking in as uh, we've been introduced to it so far, these casual conversations that Jesus has had uh, with many of his followers and his disciples as he just went through life with them. And this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 9. Uh, we're going to be in verses 57 to 62. And we're going to kind of get a a little cheat. We don't get just one conversation that the Lord had, but we're going to get to kind of look at three this morning, and uh, we're going to dive in, unpack those things shortly. But as you're turning uh, to that passage, I um, came across this picture uh, recently that we can throw up on the screen. It's a, it's a, a cartoon picture with a sign out front of a church. And in case you can't read what the, the sign says, it's an advertisement trying to get people to show up to, to church, and it's for it's advertising for the Light Church, the Light Church, who advertises 24% fewer commitments, it's home of the 7.5% tithe, 15-minute sermons, 45-minute worship services, we only have eight commandments, your choice, we use just three spiritual laws, and have uh, we have an 800-year millennium. Everything you've wanted in the church and less, right? In the in the day of fad diets, we were talking about that this morning as we were praying. Uh, we talked about Krispy Kreme, and uh, uh, now it's eating a bunch of donuts isn't as uh, uh, smiled upon these days. But we have all these diets. We're looking for light food, light dressing. You're looking for diet pops, whatever it may be, uh, watching our health. And uh, we can laugh at something like this picture because it's satirical, right? But I bet it was made originally to communicate some sort of a, a truth about where uh, much of the church has found itself uh, these days. That while we may find it cringeworthy to say, yeah, we're promoting light church, sometimes the church may fall into promoting light church, right? We talk down the commitments of being uh, part of a, a body of believers, and that's one thing I absolutely love about Village is membership at villages is, is held in high regard, and it's a, it's a very important thing uh, to not be taken lightly, and while many churches may not consciously advertise these uh, sort of commitments—only you know eight uh, commandments—you choose it, you know seven half, half percent tithe—it um, can be easy to start to slip into these things. But really, what we're going to learn this morning, as we look at Luke chapter nine, is that God's expectation, Jesus' definition of being a disciple, is very different than that of the light church marriage Baptist can be uh, quite different. The normal expectations, perhaps, of being part of a church may even seem light uh, compared to what Jesus is going to communicate is the cost of following him. So the title for our message this morning is just Disciple. And uh, it's in your uh, bulletin insert as if you're looking at a uh, dictionary definition of it. And that's what we're going to try to unpack as we look at these conversations that Jesus is having on the road to Jerusalem this morning. How is it that he defines uh, discipleship? So let's look at these verses that we have in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57. It says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, that's to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, we are loving this series, uh, these opportunities that we have to to stop and look at Scripture and to see these real and authentic conversations that uh, Jesus had uh, with his followers while he was here walking on the earth. Lord, they're real, they're, they're practical, they, they get right to the, the matter, and so we uh, look forward to being challenged by them, we look forward to being encouraged by them as we continue throughout this series. And this morning, Lord, I pray that as we unpack uh, these three short conversations, kind of in one, in one package, Lord, that you would uh, communicate your truth clearly through me now. Lord, I pray for the the events of our daily lives that come with us to church. I pray that you would give perspective into those. I pray that the distractions and the worries that we may have, we might be able to uh, set those aside just for the the moments to come here, that we might focus on your word and hear it and understand it, and Lord, that we might uh, grow as your followers this morning together. We pray this all now for your glory in the name of Jesus Christ. So, this, uh, this passage, you've got to look at it in the, the context of what's going on. The, Jesus and his disciples, they're traveling uh, to Jerusalem um, to set the backdrop. And as they're walking, they're walking this road, right? Because traveling then wasn't like you hop in the car and you drive 60 miles an hour down the road. They're walking, and so there's lots of opportunities to have some conversations. And as they're walking to Jerusalem, these people come up, and they're talking about following Jesus, and Jesus calls one of them to follow him. And so we're going to start out with this idea, well, what exactly is it meaning when it's talking about following Jesus? To follow Jesus is to have a, a union or likeness to a way of life that mirrors that of Jesus. Literally, it means to walk the same road. We did a a series early when I was uh, at Village with the youth group on Sunday mornings called Walking as Jesus Walked. And isn't that the call for us as disciples, to walk as Jesus walked? Now, that doesn't mean that we all need to pick up and, and move our lives over to the Middle East and walk the same streets and the same roads. I'm sure that would be really interesting. I'd love to do that someday. But it's a manner or a way of life that Jesus is calling us to, to walk as he did. I think of First um, John chapter 2, verse 6 which says whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The calling for us to follow Jesus is a serious one. It involves your entire way of life. We're not talking Facebook following, Twitter following, Instagram following, you fill in the blank following, which is really it's kind of a one-time decision, right? You find a friend, you type in their name on Facebook, you go, you, you click follow or at send friend request, and now you're you're following this person. That's all it took from you. Now all you got to do is you log in, and it sends you the, in your feed any of the updates that they post about their life, which um, is so handy to have, but it doesn't require anything of you really after that initial following. Jesus and following him is quite a different thing, where it's every single day we're dying to ourselves, and we're following him. I uh, found an, an illustration as I was studying for this. That this is if You had $1,000 that you had to pay to somebody. It's easier in some ways to say, all right, I owe you a $1,000, bucks. i am going to come and I'm going I'm to put it on the table, slide across the table, give you a $1,000 all at once, done, done deal, don't have to worry about it ever, ever again. But it's a little more difficult if you had to give that $1,000 to that person by giving them a quarter a day. That's a long process, right? Here's a quarter today, here's a quarter tomorrow, here's a quarter the next day, and the next day. The discipline. And every single day remembering and going back and giving it. That's what the picture is of following Jesus. It's not the one-time transaction, but it's a daily dying to yourself, following him, living as he did. So we need to look at Jesus' definition of discipleship, his definition of being a follower. Because these people clearly had an idea of what it meant to follow Jesus that didn't quite match what Jesus had in mind. So let's look at it. Jesus' definition of discipleship first conveys realistic expectations. Realistic expectations. How many of you guys have ever seen the, the show Charlie Brown? You're familiar with it? Okay. Do you remember the, the scenes where uh, Lucy was holding the football and, and Charlie Brown's gonna come and he's gonna kick that football as hard as he can because Lucy's holding it for him. Right? And what happened every single time? Whoop! Pull it away and Charlie Brown looked like a, a silly fool, you know, whew, just fall, it's, it's comical. In many ways, there was an expectation there that Lucy's going to help, Lucy's going to do her job to make it possible for Charlie Brown to kick that football, Now, it would be really funny if we saw something like that happening in the NFL, right, the season's getting ready to start back up, you know, they're gearing up, ready for that, ready for that field goal and the whoosh, psych, right? That'd be, that'd be a big problem. There's an expectation that you work together to do this and um, when it comes to following Jesus, he makes sure that the expectations and the realities of following him are laid out clear. It's important. We see, especially with this first conversation, look in, in verse 57 and 58. They're going on the road and someone said to Jesus, hey, I'll follow you wherever you go. Now, I I can't really imagine that the scriptures don't put in there like a a play script that says say it in this attitude or with this kind of emotion. But I can't imagine that that guy is coming up to Jesus and being like, I'll follow you wherever you go. Kind of like a little old Eeyore. All right, I'll I'll follow you. I don't get that impression uh, when he's talking about following Jesus. I imagine he's got a little more spunk to it, right? He's coming up to Jesus like, I will follow you everywhere you go. Anywhere you go, I'm going with you. And he's got this passion, this energy about it. And, and Jesus' response, it, okay, so as, as a ministry leader, if I've had people come up and say, hey, I want to serve in the student ministry at Sugar Grove. My first, like, internal response is like, this is yes! Okay, let's do it, right? Because sometimes it's so much harder to go and recruit when you have someone who comes to you and says, hey, I want to plug into your ministry. Your first thing's like, let's get you plugged in. And then you start thinking through, okay, what, what's the expectations? And I just had to do this. There was a, a young guy who wanted to serve, and I met for, with him for breakfast, and we're talking through I'm like, oh, this is great. I want to get you plugged in. This is awesome. Here's kind of what our expectations are, kind of the ministry description for being a student ministry leader. And I'm sitting there at, the, at this table, meeting with him for breakfast, talking through these things, I'm like, I am a terrible salesman for this position right now. It's like, there, there's some so, some serious expectations. And Jesus does the same thing to this man. He says, listen... Instead of saying, great, yeah, follow me everywhere you go, Jesus says, listen, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man is nowhere to lay his head. Let's get real for a second. You want to follow me, Jesus says, there's going to be some struggles that come along the way. Some struggles that come along the way. It's a difficult job description to follow Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean it's all bad, right? There's so many blessings to follow Jesus, but Sometimes we can focus all on these blessings, and we don't talk or think and count the cost of what it is to follow Jesus. I had a friend a couple years ago who said, hey, Jeremy, you want to come help me move some stuff? I just, it's, just, it's just a little bit. I just need an extra hand. It'll probably take 15, 20 minutes, and we'll be done. I'm like, okay, 15, 20 minutes, fine. Like, I, I like to lend a helping hand to some friends. Yeah, sure, I'll come. Okay, it won't be that bad. About an hour into this thing, and we still had half of the stuff left to move. I was like, all right, all right, I get what happening here. Like, if you told me how much stuff we were really going to move, you thought I was going to say no. So it won't be that bad. It's going to be fine. I don't know if you call that bait and switch. I'm not sure exactly what, what the deal is. But there was this, the expectations, the reality of the situation wasn't communicated clearly. And it's important to Jesus that those who are going to follow him would know and understand what these expectations are going to be. This man, I'm sure, had all the best intentions. He had all the passion, all the energy. I'm going to follow you anywhere you go. I don't think he didn't mean those words. But Jesus is saying, listen, your passion in and of itself Your energy, your interest, those things are great, but the importance is the follow-through. Sticking with it, staying through the long-term, the fulfillment of it in the long-term, not just the short. It's like lighting a a fire with gasoline, big flame right away, burns out real fast, but if you start slow, you start small. And I never did Boy Scouts, so those of you who maybe did, you you know better than me, but um, your fire's going to be stronger and last longer. Um, one pastor noted that this man who came to Jesus said that uh, this man was charmed, but he hadn't really been changed yet. He saw Jesus as a, a great leader, but he didn't see Jesus as his Lord. And that's you know, important for us to always stop and pause as believers and count that cost. How are we handling this relationship with Jesus? Do we see the struggles that may come, that the Lord may call us through Uh, for his sake, to follow him. And honestly, it may be true of some of your neighbors and your friends that look at Christianity, and sometimes we can have this sense where we we talk of all the great things. We'll we'll speak of salvation and and being co-heirs with Christ and the forgiveness of sins. And then people like the idea of that, and they gravitate towards it. Maybe they, they start coming to church, and then you start talking about having some expectation. Why don't you serve? Why don't you plug in? You talk about dying to yourself and living to Christ, and all of a sudden the whole conversation shifts just a little bit. And they're like, wait a minute. Maybe this isn't exactly what I had in mind when you talked about these things. It's important to see the whole picture of following Jesus. So secondly, first, there's struggles. Jesus is realistic. Secondly, there's going to be some sacrifices. You're going to have to give some stuff up. And for any of you who have been walking with the Lord for any number of years, you know that this probably happened for you. There's going to be some sacrifices in life. Now, in our passage this morning, we see that there is even some sacrifices in friends. Maybe you got some friends that you've been hanging around with that are just not leading you to the Lord, and you have to have this kind of uh, real authentic moment with yourself and with the Lord where you say, listen, I, maybe these aren't the right kind of people to, to be surrounding myself with. And I, I'm not saying that you separate yourself from all unbelievers. We need to be around unbelievers, but bad company corrupts good character. Making sure that we're surrounding ourselves with people who are going to strengthen us, encourage us. That's what the church is here for, uh, to really do that. And so we might have some some distancing of relationships with friends, or you know, we see in the passage. There's even some situation going on with the second man and his his father. There may be some familial sacrifices that are going to be made in following the Lord. I think of uh, some missionaries. Josh talked about a missionary lunch that's coming up, right? Sometimes our missionaries, uh, we look to them right away because. They've made this decision to follow God and to move across the world and move away from their families, move away from the, the convenience of going down the street and seeing uh, grandma and grandpa or whatever it may be, or going and seeing their cousins or their brothers and their sisters. Because they said, "Listen, following the Lord and His callings is going to be greater. Maybe God's going to call us to give up the luxuries of life, all the the." materialistic things that the world is like, hey, you need this. And listen, that's where it hits, hits, hits home for me, right? I like nice things, I've got to be honest with you. And sometimes those are not necessary things. Following the Lord may mean that we give some of those up for the sake of the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, listen, the foxes have holes. They've got a home base. The birds of the air have a nest. But the Son of Man, you're going to follow me? There's no guarantee. There's no guarantee where I'm calling you to go, where we're gonna go. So ultimately, Jesus says the greatest sacrifice is you're gonna give up your entire life. He doesn't say you're gonna give up your Sunday mornings. He doesn't say you're gonna give up one other area of your your life throughout the week, or you know, your your morning time to devotions, or maybe it's in the evening. He doesn't say those are the areas where you're gonna die to yourself, but he, he says you're gonna die to yourself daily. Every single day we go to and die to our own natural inclinations to follow Jesus. So it's that time when someone calls you up, or you have a, a client or a customer who's just, they are on your last nerve. And you just want to ream them out. Give them a piece of your mind. Those are the moments when we die to ourselves and we live to Christ. The moments where you get the bad news from a family member, or a loved one, a friend. Instead of responding impulsively, some, die to yourself live to Christ? What about the good times? Maybe you get a promotion at work and, and your first thought is to pat yourself on the back and say, yeah, look how great I am. I've deserved this. I've done this. And God, yourself and give thanks to the Lord. Give the credit to Him for the blessings that He gives. I'm reminded of Jesus talking just earlier in Luke chapter 9. If you want to flip with me uh, to chapters, or I'm um, not to chapters, to verses 23 and 25. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? In following Jesus, there are many, many great blessings that we inherit, the blessings of, of eternity. But that doesn't mean that all the blessings we are, we inherit are materialistic in this world. Some of the most attractive Christians to me are the ones whose uh, dreams and their passions and their interests aren't for now, they're for eternity, right? They just long for the glory of God. They long to, to serve the kingdom and to serve the king. And uh, those, those you looking like, oh, you're such an encouragement. There's something about where, where those motivations are coming from that is godly and good. It's biblical. It's what we should have as Christians. So Jesus is realistic. He's saying, "Listen, you're gonna follow me. Let's put some realistic expectations out there. This isn't all gonna be a cakewalk, a walk in the park. There might be there's gonna be some difficulties with following the Lord. If the world's gonna persecute me, they'll persecute you, and so forth." But secondly, that means we we also have to get into confronting our excuses. Jesus is gonna really confront some excuses, and you'll notice that uh, these responses to Jesus start with the the word but or have the word button there, and, and that's one of those words that kind of stops you in your tracks, doesn't it? I uh, think of my Uncle Gary. I, if he were here this morning, he'd be laughing, all right? Uh, my Uncle Gary, he's a he's a very personable guy, uh, very good at relating to people, very good at talking to people. He, he can control and manipulate any conversation like a master. It, it, he's so good at it. And I remember, I don't remember what brought it up, but I remember distinctly talking with Gary one time, and I think he was talking about the confrontation. He was like, listen, you never, ever use the word but. So to give you an example of what he's saying, maybe you're, you're looking at me this morning, because you, you are, and you're thinking, oh, Jeremy's looking pretty good this morning. But I don't like that shirt. So after the service, you're going to come up to me, and you're going to say, Jeremy, you're looking sharp this morning. But that shirt, strugglingly, you might want to pick a different color or something. What happens is Gary says it is everything that you said about Jeremy. You're looking pretty sharp this morning. As soon as you throw that word "butt" in there, meant absolutely nothing. He says now all that matters is what you say after that. But your shirt's looking pretty, pretty ugly. That's what. That's what's really gonna stick. He's like, listen, when you're doing conflict, and I, this is like not really part of the sermon per se. This, this is like extra side of beans, I don't know. Um, he says, when you're doing conflict, don't use the word but. Instead, instead of saying, Jeremy, you're looking sharp, but your shirt's looking a little bad, say, Jeremy, you're looking sharp, and I bet you'd look even better if you wore a different color shirt. You're like, oh. Now I'm thinking, that's, that's not a bad idea. And I'm not sitting there thinking, wow, they just like, ripped on my shirt. It's like, oh, okay. You know, so just a, a little word, but the word "but" the point of all that is to say the word "but" it really contradicts uh, what has been said. So really, as we look at these things, we we start off with the the second person here. Jesus says, "Follow me." He says, uh, "Lord, let me first go and bury my father." But let me. But he said, "Let me go bury my father." That sounds great. The next person, "I'll follow you, Lord," but. Let me first say farewell to those at my home. What's really happening here is what these people are saying is, in many ways, Jesus following you is great. I love the idea of it. It just doesn't really fit right now, so um, I'm going to ignore that for the meantime. Maybe I'll get to it later because these things are these things are more pressing. This is where I'm really at in life. I'm not really intending to follow you right now. It's contradicting. So let's look at a. Let's look at a couple of the butts that Jesus is going to confront here. I don't know if you can say that at church or not, but it's not the two T's, it's one. We're going to look at the, the butts that Jesus confronts. All right, The first but that Jesus is going to confront is that of preferences. That of preferences. Our first would-be follower of Jesus, full of his passion and his enthusiasm, was confronted with the harsh realities that we've talked about, uh, the, the comforts of life, they're not a stamped guarantee, the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. And Jesus reminds him, uh, that those are not the primary focuses. We have a, a saying at the youth group in Sugar Grove that uh, we've kind of we've stolen it a little bit and adapted it from Lake Ann Camp, um, and it goes like this: Youth group is not necessarily for the convenience, ease, or enjoyment of the staff. When you go to Lake Ann, that's their big thing. Youth camp is not for the, necessarily for the. Uh, convenience ease or enjoyment of the counselor. It's for the kids, right? So we remind our leaders all the time, listen, you guys have worked a full day. We we recognize that. You're going to come to youth group a lot of times on Wednesday. You're going to be dog tired. You've got other things going on in your life that are, you know, vying for your, your interest right now or your attention. And coming to youth group, this is when we are here to serve the students. It's about the students. So we're going to play some games, and you may not feel like playing the games, But it's not about you in this moment. It's about putting the kids first, building those relationships with them. And in a lot of ways, the same is true when it comes to following Jesus. It doesn't revolve around me. It doesn't revolve around you, but it revolves around the king and his glory and his honor that we get to bring him. And so that's why there can be times where we are going to be asked to give up and to sacrifice. Because our preferences, it's not about our preferences. It's about the kingdom of God that we get the great blessing of being welcomed into uh, that. Um, In many ways, that man had to really check his passion, right? Take that pause, uh, check check with reality. And weigh it. Is this going to be worth it? Are these sacrifices going to be worth it? I want to challenge us this morning. Can we look past, what are the preferences of your life that God may be calling you your family, to do without for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now that might mean that you really want to go buy that boat. And, you know, God's maybe putting on your heart, hey, maybe you should use those funds for something else. Maybe you want to, you know, you fill in the blank. You want to go on that big vacation, but God's saying, well, maybe you should uh, instead spend some time with these people, your family. Whatever it may be, what's the preference in life that God may be calling you to uh, to be obedient in? And maybe take that to ministry. There's a lot of different ways that ministry happens that maybe isn't the exact way that you would do it, but you can find unity in it for the sake of the kingdom of God. Is there an area where we, we can seek that unity, put our own personal preferences aside for the sake of the kingdom and following the Lord? So Jesus confronts Our but of our preferences. Where God may call you to something and say, yeah, but, maybe that's not the way I would do it. Yeah, but, something else. He confronts our preferences. Secondly, he confronts our priorities. The second person, Jesus called this person, says, hey, come follow me. And the guy says, but let me first go and bury my dad. Now, this is, a, this is a pretty big deal. This is a huge deal because uh, to bury someone's father in that time was like the supreme priority. It took precedence over everything. And it was a, the job of the firstborn. It was a, a way of gaining your inheritance. And it took a long time. The whole process could take up to a year after uh, dad died. You'd, you'd bury dad, you'd have a mourning process, and then w- at the, the next year you'd go and you'd kind of unbury dad, rebury his bones, and it was, a, it was a long process. And so Jesus is saying here, listen, your commitment to follow me is even greater than the, the cultural commitments you may have uh, that are super important. So many scholars, you can look at this uh, three different ways, really, many of the scholars do. The first, you know, dad in this situation uh, hasn't died yet. Okay, so maybe we don't know. We're just not sure. Dad maybe he was on his deathbed and he was nearing the end and he said, Well my dad's he's saying my dad's gonna die soon, let me wait until I can bury him, or you know, maybe he was younger even. The second option is that dad maybe maybe dad had just died. Now this one's a little less likely because if he had, he would have been in the process of uh, burying him already. And the third was maybe dad had been gone for a while, but he hadn't finished that whole Uh, process and the the procedures and the duties that he had of of seeing to the burial of his father. I'd heard a a story of a a rather gifted man from the Middle East who had been offered a full ride, full tuition scholarship to a a college like Cambridge or Harvard. I don't remember which one it was, but one of those like really difficult schools to get into. They offered him a full ride. He said, hey, that's great, but um, I'll take it when my dad dies. And At the time, his dad was like 40 years old so there was it's not clear in scripture exactly where the situation is at but what we can tell is that there is an, what Jesus is saying is incredibly loud and clear your commitment the cost of, to follow me is a higher priority than anything else in your life that the other commitments and priorities that you have should never compete with your priority to follow Jesus Christ and as we follow the Lord As we do what he has commanded us to do, it's amazing how a lot of those other things just start to fall in place. Caring for your family, your parents, your loved ones, and uh, being part of your community, stuff like that, all those things. But um, Jesus is saying, listen, your priorities need to be first. And, And nowadays, we have so many different things that vie for our priority. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves committed to so much that we really can't handle, that we really can't stick with and we can find ourselves committed and having priority over in so many situations so many different things that really limit our ability to follow the lord to be obedient to him and we need to be honest with ourselves about those things maybe it's stuff in your community or your job maybe it's your some family things or extracurricular activities you you name what it is sports hobbies they're going to take away from your commitment your ability to be obedient to the lord In different areas. And you need to be careful about that. I need to be careful about that. That we don't let these other things take precedence over following Jesus. Whenever we have to, if Jesus calls us to do something, maybe he's calling you to to serve in some ministry, to be part of something, or to to make this uh, career shift, whatever it may be. If God is calling you to do that, and you say, Lord, that's great, but right now it doesn't really fit with our schedule but we want to wait until the kids are, you know, out. We want to wait until we can, you know, you fill in the blank. Anything that comes after that word but needs to be considered very carefully. Very carefully, because it may be something in your priority list that is stopping you from being faithful to what God has called you to, what God has maybe called your family to. And with that, the many blessings and and joy, and the fulfillment that comes with doing what God has has planned for you, what his will is in your life. So to follow him, but we have to be honest. Thirdly, Jesus' definition of discipleship is going to confront our plans. It's going to confront our plans. The last person here says, hey, I'll follow you, but first I want to go say goodbye to the people at my house. So we have family that are here right now. It would almost be like if God was calling me to preach this morning, i can be like, okay. That's great, but first I want to go say, they're leaving this afternoon, so first I want to go spend some time with them before they leave. You guys would be like, really, Jeremy? Who's going to preach? <laughs> like, Come on. You you have a responsibility, a calling. And we need to be faithful to that calling to follow God above all else. He talk, Jesus says that in response to them, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And in a farming community, I think that can hit home a little bit, right? He's saying, listen, if you, when you're you plowing these lines, you, you want to plow straight. And it's pretty near impossible to plow straight lines. I mean, nowadays, you got the GPS stuff on the tractor, so the analogy breaks down a little bit in modern context, but it's really hard to plow straight and look back. Ever tried to ride a bike and go straight and look back? You're all over the place he's saying, listen, when you have fixed your eyes on me, you move forward. Don't look back to the old life that I'm calling you out of. Don't look back to what is behind, but look ahead to me and to the kingdom and following me. I uh, think of uh, Paul in uh, in Philippians chapter 3. I think it's verse 13 and 14. Um, He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. We need to be careful as we consider just as these people who had the desire to follow Jesus but didn't count the cost necessarily on the front end. We count that cost. See, following Jesus is not a partial thing. Following Jesus and being his disciple isn't a, there's no mixed devotion. There's no mixed allegiances. It's all or nothing, Jesus. It's the pass fail test. You follow me or or you're not following me. It's important that when we go, we don't step and there's no straddling the fence with following Jesus. There's no saying, all right, well, I'll give you this much of my time, this much of my resources, this much of my uh, priorities. But I'm going to hold on to some of it myself to kind of do my own thing with. No, I'm going to, you jump all in. You don't cling to it. It's all in for Jesus and following him. And that may mean making some, some course shifts along the way. Recognizing that God may be calling you to something different. I love the, uh, the Christian no. You guys all know what the Christian no is, right? The, I don't have the guts to tell you no, so I'm going to say that I'm just going to pray about it. Right? Someone says, Hey, would you be willing to, you know, serve on the worship team? Now nah, let me pray about it. We all know really what you're saying there is. I'm not really interested. But you can't tell me that I have to when I can say that I prayed about it and God told me I shouldn't. But how often do we say, Let me pray about it? and we really go and seek the Lord? Or they they have asked if I'd serve on the worship team. What is your will in this for me? Is, is this really something I should pursue, are there, are there things I need to shift around in my priorities and the way I use my time to make this work? We just need to be careful that we don't overlook the possibilities and the opportunities that God has called us to for the conveniences of our own life. And that's why, at the very end of it all, Jesus' definition of discipleship also it confirms our eternity. It confirms our eternity. You are either on the team or you're not. I've not played on a sports team in a while now, but I remember in high school when I did. Being on the team meant you're going to practice, you're doing the conditioning, you're sweating, you're getting irritated with the people around you and you're working through it. You're on the team, that means you're getting up early, you're staying up late, you have the commitments, you've got bus rides with people, you're going to win with your team, you're going to lose with your team. Nowadays, if I go put on a Bulls jersey, this does not mean that I'm on the Bulls. As much as when a kid, you put the Bulls jersey on, you're like, yeah. I'm like, Michael Jordan. You're like, no, you're not. <laughs> Putting a jersey on it doesn't put you on the team. We need to be careful. And Jesus is a reminder that we don't put the Christian jersey on and pretend like we're on the team and, you know, act the act and Go out in the yard and shoot hoops and pretend you're Michael Jordan. All the while Jesus saying, Listen, nope. You're not fooling me. And I know you're not on the team. You didn't show up to practice all week. You you've not been in any of the games. You you don't take the bus rides with us. You're you're not on the team. You're not gonna fool me with this. And we always need to evaluate that. Our lives to stop and to pause and to seek the Lord that He would reveal anything of sin in our ways and recognize that there are people I'm sure churches are filled all around the world with people who are just putting that jersey on, they're showing up, they're looking the part, but they're not really there, they're not really a part of the body of Christ, and that should cause us some humility in ourselves. That should cause us some humility and some to bring us to our knees to pray for the people around us. Because there is not any partiality here. It is all or nothing. You're on the team or you're not on the team. You're in the kingdom of God. Your name is written in the book of life. You've trusted Jesus, your Lord and Savior, or you haven't. There's not a, there's not middle ground here. So it's important that we see the the gravity of this. And let it break your heart for the people that you know continue to spur us on to love them. To go that extra mile, invite them over for dinner and have real authentic conversations. I've, I have loved in being around out here for the what is it a week now, Bree, that we've been out here. And we've gone for a couple walks and almost every single person we've met are like, hey, we've been invited to the Catholic Church like four times since we moved out here. You know, it's it's not a big deal to talk to people about faith. People want to talk about faith and their religion and what you believe. Don't be discouraged. Don't let the devil discourage you from that. But be motivated and spurred on with the perspective of reality to share, to invite, to welcome for the kingdom of God. Because Jesus says here, listen, if you're going to look back and cling, there's there's an unfit, you're unfit for the kingdom of God but if you're going to follow me wholeheartedly, full of devotion, you're welcome to the kingdom of God. Your life covered by the grace and the blood of Jesus on the cross. We cannot serve two masters. We can't. We'll love one and hate the other. Let Jesus be your master, your Lord, in all components of your life, and follow Him. Are you a disciple this morning of Jesus Christ? According to Jesus' definition, counting the cost, weighing it, it's a challenge that we need to take seriously. And while we've spent time this morning, and you know, Jesus dealt very realistically with people, there's a great cost to following me, but the gift of God is eternal life. There's great blessings, and he offers it freely, but the cost to follow him is that we give it all back. Lord, you have purchased my life on the cross. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Take everything that I am, all that I have, for your kingdom and for your glory. It's not long, uh, right into chapter 10. In verse 2, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Isn't it? ironic in some ways that Jesus would go from this, the high cost of following him, counting the cost of discipleship, and then going and just moments later and saying, hey, there is so much work to be done. The harvest is plentiful. Beg the Lord of the harvest that he'd send people out. I pray that you and I, that we would be those harvesters, sent out into the Lord's harvest to, to, to do his work, that he would use us as his instruments. I want to close this morning with a prayer that I felt was very fitting to uh, this passage and, and this message. And so as the worship team's coming back up, I want to invite you to, to pray with me as we close things out. All right, let's pray. Father, we are no longer our own, but yours. Put us to what you will, rank us with whom you will. Put us to doing, and put us to suffering. Let us be employed for you, or laid aside for you. Exalted for you, or brought low for you. Lord, let us be full, let us be empty. Let us have all things, let us have nothing. We freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are our God and we are yours, so be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.